If you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians, the first chapter, if you hadn't guessed, we're going to begin reading again in verse 3 as we continue along the lines of this Lost Truth series. We want to consider verse 6 this morning. Let's begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he, that is Christ, hath made us accepted in the beloved. The word beloved right there is the word agape. And I've spoken to you before in the past about the different types of love that are presented in the New Testament. And they are basically three. One is uh, eros, which is physical love, physical affection. The other is the Greek word phileo, which is where you get the word Philadelphia from, city of brotherly love. Phileo is brotherly love. And then there is the most intense and the greatest of forms of love, which, as Brother Luke said, you cannot learn from the sitcoms or from Hollywood. It is agape. And here we have that term agape applied to one of the names of Jesus. And we talked a couple weeks ago about being chosen in Christ before him and will be before him in love. And then we talked last week about being predestinated to the adoption of children according to the good pleasure of God's will. The pleasure of predestination. You see how those things go together? Love and pleasure And then he says, we are going to be to the praise of his glory and to his grace. How? By being accepted in the beloved. So what we have before us this morning is not some dry doctrinal term that's for theologians to debate or discuss. Just as the term being chosen or elect or the term predestination is not just a theological term. We have this morning before us accepted in the beloved. So you can't divorce this or separate this from the love of God. That is so important. And if if we approach it that way, it stays fresh for us. Just like uh, those of you, of us who are in love. (laughs) It stays fresh. It stays real. It stays current. It's not something dry and untouchable. So as we consider accepted in the beloved this morning, we want to talk about the greatest love story of all time. I love love stories. And my wife is back there snickering because she's always having to talk me in to watch the Hallmark Channel love stories, you know. But I do. I guess it's after I've found my great love that, you know, I don't need any of that anymore, you know, because I've got it. But I will watch it. I will enjoy it. And there's a couple of those movies, and not Hallmark Channel, but a couple of movies from the past that I can't watch it without just getting teared up and just thinking, man, that's amazing. <laughs> Matter of fact, we watched one a, a, a week or two ago, and I just was a, a soppy mess, you know, watching it. And you say, well, that's crazy. You're not, you turn your man card in. Well, that may be, but I'm, I'm happy to turn it in for love. And, and after you see what's going on here in the greatest love story of all time, you won't think, well, it's turning your man card in. You see, this is about the greatest love story of all time. And isn't it a fact that all of history since the Garden of Eden has been the tale of a broken love story. You know, Adam and Eve had it all in the garden. They were the two greatest lovers that have ever existed prior to sin entering into the world. And they 
broke that trust. They, they marred that great love that they had there, the Lord beholding them in the garden. And ever since then, all of history is about this great love story, God's love for you and for me and for his people and the restoration of fellowship in the form of agape love. You see, agape includes the eros portion, the physical portion of it. And it also includes the phileo or uh, brotherly love portion of it. That's why it is the ultimate type of love. And it's not just an emotion. It's not just something flimsy that goes in and out. No, it is sacrificial love. That is true love right there. To lay down your life for another. To lay down your thoughts and your views and sacrifice for another. You see, that is true love. This is not tolerance now. (laughs) We're living in an age of, you need, you're supposed, everybody says on the media and everywhere, you're supposed to tolerate everything. That's love. That's not love. Christ would not tolerate your sins being in heaven. Therefore, he laid down his life and paid for them. That's totally different than toleration. You see? Don't ever give in. Well, we got to tolerate this sin. We've got to tolerate that sin. Well, then you're going to start tolerating your own sin. You see? And we should be repenting. So how in the world can we... As ruined sinners, be holy and without blame before him in love. To the praise of the glory of his grace, as verse 6 says. How can we come before the Lord and and present ourselves to him? It is because we are accepted in the beloved. Now let's talk about the technical side of this. You know, you hear people say, well, this couple looks good on paper. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the part that looks good on paper and then let's get to the good stuff, which is the emotional side of it, okay? But we don't want to overlook the part that looks good on paper. First of all, the word accept there where it says accepted in the beloved. It means to endue with special honor, to be highly favored. That's a good thing, to be accepted in Christ Jesus. Now, from the technical standpoint, the word accept or accepted or acceptance, any any acceptation, any form of the word accept occurs in the New Testament 28 times. Only 28 times. It would be a very short study for you to look at that. And without exception, four or five, maybe six times does the word accept, accepting or acceptance occur in relation to salvation. There's many other places where it occurs that doesn't have anything to do with salvation. But you check it out. There's four or five, maybe six times where it has to do with going to heaven. And without exception, it never at any point says it is you doing something to accept God or his work. On the contrary, every single time it says that we, that acceptance occurs in relation to salvation, it says that God accepts you. (laughs) And isn't that the opposite of what has gone on in pulpits for decades? They say, you must accept Christ. You must let him in. You must do this. It is the opposite of what the word of God says. All you got to do is get your King James Bible out and do a word search. Now that's the technical side of it. Now listen to this. The word receive or receiving occurs Many more times than 28 times. And if you'll narrow down your study of... It takes a little longer to study the word receive. But if you'll narrow down to your study of the word receiving to salvation, you will find that in every circumstance when the word receiving occurs in relation to salvation, it always says that the sinner, the child of God, receives salvation. Never accept. And... I'm sure some would say, well, that's just kind of a strife of words, you know, because accept can mean receive and receive can mean accept. Well, yeah, if you're talking about Christmas, 
You could accept a gift or receive a gift or reject a gift. But when it comes to salvation, we're not talking about Christmas. We're talking about salvation. And the reason it's important to understand the difference is because when something is dead, it can only receive. The, the vase that's here that has these beautiful yellow flowers this morning, do you know that these, this vase here received these flowers? I've used that example for years and years, and it works. If that vase looked up at you or, or Sister Holly or whoever was putting those flowers in there this morning and said, I receive these flowers or I accept these flowers, you go running out of the room. The vase can't talk. The vase is dead, right? Does that make sense? Now, that's the technical side of it. Something that is dead cannot accept. Therefore, the Holy Spirit inspired the translators to make sure they stayed true to the form of what was going on. And if something is dead, it can only receive. Now, the difference between accept and receive is something dead can never accept. They can only receive. That's very simple. That looks very good on paper, doesn't it? <laughs> There's no way to dispute that. There's no way to get out from under that. For decades, men have stood in the pulpit and said, you must do this, you must do that, you must get right. You And, and that is a false narrative from what the Scripture teaches. You can do nothing as something dead, you see. You have to be worked on by God. You have to receive the Spirit, you see. And check it out. Every time the word receive occurs in relation to salvation, it says they receive the Spirit of God. One who is dead in sins is quickened and made alive in the new birth by receiving the Spirit. Okay, that looks good on paper. There's really no way to overcome that if you stick with the word of God and the occurrences of those words. But let's move past just what looks good on paper, because we all know that there's times when a couple might look good on paper. Well, they really match up, (laughs) but there's got to be something more than just looking good on paper. Right. There's got to be agape. There's got to be more than just, oh, we we see this is this works. This looks good. No, there's got to be a sacrificial love. You see, Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden and a chasm of separation occurred from God. How do we get back to God? That's why you have to be adopted, you see, because you're in Adam's family. So here's what happened. It's not you accepting or letting anything happen in relation to salvation. It's not you making a decision. It's not you doing this or you doing that. It is Christ making a decision. It is Christ laying his life down. And the Lord looked upon that and accepted what he did. Hebrews 9 and verse 11. It speaks of this. If you want to look there. It says in verse 11 of Hebrews 9, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. You ever wonder where that song comes from? Christ went a building to prepare, not made with hands. Uh, it says that, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, and that is heaven, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now watch the language. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? You see, Christ didn't offer himself to you. Christ didn't offer himself to mankind. Christ offered himself to God. The words could not be plainer. Christ isn't laying himself down before us and say, take me up, take me up. Christ laid himself down before God and the Lord looked upon his sacrifice and said, I accept. It's enough. He's the only one that could do it. Now, when you see yourself as a ruined member of Adam's family and that you have nothing to offer, you won't have a problem with that. 
But if that offends your natural conscience and say, well, wait a minute, that takes all power away from me and that offends, well, then you're, you're getting warmer. <laughs> because the Spirit of God is an offense to the natural conscience and the natural man. That's what God intended. It is not just an offense to it, it's a killer of it. It's a warfare, you see. Christ warred and went to war, went to battle so that he could kill your natural conscience that it offends and says, well, that just takes all choice away from me. It's a good thing if you think that way. And you know what? When you think that way, you say, that takes all choice away from me. Then you're ready to lay down your thoughts and your will. That's agape, by the way. (laughs) And you see all of your hope is in Christ. You see, remember this now. You say, what's the significance of the lamb? The lamb was brought before the temple and sacrificed and the blood was shed. And the Lord was looking at the lamb. Is it a pure lamb? Is it without blemish? Is it without spot? You see, the lamb was not offered for the goodness of the people. You understand that? That was not the time. Now, there's a place for good works and there's a place to serve. And in the Old Testament, there's a place to keep the law. But when you brought the lamb, it wasn't you bringing your goodness. You were bringing the lamb. The Lord was looking at the lamb. And if the lamb was appropriate and the sacrifice went as it should, then the Lord said, I'm pleased. You weren't coming before the Lord and laying your goodness down. No, the altar was what? It was a place of death and of blood, you see? And so Calvary was a place of death and it was a place of blood. Your works have no place on Calvary's hill. (laughs) Well, as a matter of fact, your bad works, the only place they had, your sin, the only place it had was to be laid upon Jesus Christ and him pay for that while he was there. So the lamb being sacrificed has nothing to do with your goodness. It has to do with the goodness of God and the effectiveness of the lamb. A child of grace is only by the beloved. The word agape When it says accepted in the beloved, it is love personifies. Christ was love in person. Agape in person is what he was. I want you to think about this now. He says he is accepted, that we are accepted in the beloved. And the beloved is Christ Jesus. In Matthew 3 and 17, when Jesus rose up out of the water after he was baptized... You know, he didn't have to be baptized to become the Son of God. He he was baptized to demonstrate he was the Son of God. And God put his approbation or his endorsement or his approval on Jesus. But when he came up out of the water, this didn't happen to anybody else. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended from heaven and God spoke from heaven. And this is what he said. This is my beloved Son. We are accepted in the Beloved. And God said, this is my beloved, this is my agape, this is my demonstration of love towards you, in whom I am well pleased. The word pleased is a close kin to the word pleasure, where it says, according to the good pleasure of his will, he predestinated us into the adoption of children. The word pleasure means to approbate. Now that's a word we don't use much today. Approbate means to manifest a liking or to express officially endorsement of one's fitness to serve In a public office. So when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, it was like he was giving an endorsement to Christ. He was giving an endorsement saying, this is my son and he is fit and appropriate to serve in this office. You know, my brother, he's on the state court of criminal appeals. 
And when he went to pursue that office, he began to seek endorsements. Like, would this group endorse him? Would that group endorse him? Would another group endorse him? So that that would look good on his resume and he could get endorsements and go forward and say, well, hey, these folks support him or this group supports him. And it helps with moving forward, seeking public office. Well, you could have no higher approbation or endorsement than God in heaven saying, this is my son and I approve of him. You ever heard the political messages? They say, my name is so-and-so and I approve of this message. <laughs> this is God saying, my name is God and I approve of my son. He's perfect for this position. Now, that was when he was baptized. By the way, God says this again in Matthew 17 and verse 5, the Mount of Transfiguration. And we see that the Lord was changed into his form of glory. They saw him as white as lightning and they saw him in his resurrected form there momentarily. It says that Jesus went up into the mount, and there he was transfigured before them. Verse 5, it says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son. There it is again. He says, This is my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So you see the endorsement of God being upon the beloved whenever Jesus was baptized. And I'll say this as a side note. I tell you, child of grace, when you're baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and you believe the truth of God, and you understand your only hope is in Jesus, I'm telling you that God gives you his endorsement. (laughs) Yeah, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, will not descend from heaven like it did on Jesus. But understand, God is pleased when you do that. He was pleased with his Son. And here his Son is transfigured into his resurrected form. And the Lord says, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, it's worthy of note that just previous to that, Peter had jumped up and kind of uh, fired off something he shouldn't have said. And said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. You want us to build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because Moses and Elijah appeared there with Jesus and they talked about what was coming on the cross. And the Lord said in response to that, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved, hear him. You don't need to build a temple for a lie. That's what we're prone to do is to worship men, right? Well, you can worship the man God all day long. The Lord said, listen to my beloved. And when his disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Now listen, it says, And Jesus touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save or accept Jesus only. They only saw Jesus when they rose up. When you hear the Son of God, you hear the message of what God has done for you. You will have the same experience of what the apostles had there. When they rose up, all they saw was Jesus. When you believe the truth of grace and that the Lord has saved you from from paying for your sins in the lake of fire, you will only see Jesus. You don't want to see a man. You don't want to see some person. You don't want to see a parent. You want to see Jesus. Peter stood up and he said, Let's make a temple for these other men. No, you don't want to see the evangelist. You don't want to see the missionary. You don't want to see Brother Tim. You don't want to see uh, the youth group leader. You don't want to see anything other than Jesus whenever it comes to being accepted in the blood. Nothing else can fit into that picture. You see, it's a love story. Where the Lord said in Matthew 12, now to Matthew 12, He said the same thing again. This is after Jesus was going about doing good and doing the things that uh, please God. And he says in verse 18, Matthew 12 and 18, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. You see, there's another time where the Lord referred to his dear son as beloved. Notice it says, in whom my soul was well pleased. In Isaiah 42, which is where that comes from, verse 1, it says, in whom my soul delights. 
Do we delight in the Son of God? Some of you may have delighted in the outcome of the Alabama-Auburn game last night, depending on where you fall on which side of the fence on that. We won't go into that, and I won't make my comments about that. There were some people that were very delighted, and there were some people that were very disappointed. Brother Luke was talking about, you know, I mean, I like a ribeye, Brother Luke, but I'll take the filet. That's kind of my preference, okay? You delight in the ribeye, I delight in the filet. I'll eat the ribeye now. I won't turn it away. I won't turn it down, but I just prefer the filet. Things that we delight in. I delight in my children. I don't always delight in everything they do because they don't always act right. I delight. I'm not about to go there. My wife delights in me. (laughs) But there's times when I don't act right and there's not a whole lot to delight in there. You know, but so where do you go back to in that? It's agape. It's the love story. You see, if it's just physical, the eros, then it's just going to fade away. If it's just the, the friendliness, then sometimes people aren't that friendly. Sometimes that friendliness, that phileo, it goes away. But agape never leaves. It never fails. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 talks about charity. It's the same word. It's another word for agape. Charity never faileth. Agape never faileth. Christ never faileth. You see? So what do we delight in? And we have to check ourselves on that throughout our lives. Sometimes I delight in things that I shouldn't be delighting in, or I overindulge in things that I shouldn't be. And I, I was joking with Brother Chris here recently. He was talking about, I was pre- he said, I was preaching last week, and he was fixing to say on what subject. And I said, Are you, were you preaching on gluttony before you got to Thanksgiving? <laughs> I guarantee he's not preaching on gluttony today. <laughs> He'd be a hypocrite, and so would I. We'd all be hypocrites if we preached on gluttony, because we all probably ate too much. But we delight in things, don't we? It might be you delighted in the Thanksgiving meal. I do. I love it. But we can, we can go so far with it that it harms us, you see. Let all things be done in moderation. But there is no limit. <laughs> there is no limit to the delight that you can have in the chosen, the beloved of God. That's what I want. That's what I want. When my last breath leaves me, when the time on this earth is done for me, I would love to, for folks to be able to just look back and just say, hey, it, he focused on Christ in his preaching. <laughs> I can't say, well, I always focused on Christ in my life because I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I mess up. But I, at least in the preaching, <laughs> well, he sure focused on Christ. That's what it's all about. To focus on the beloved. He says, my soul delights in my son. It reminds me of Proverbs where it talks about when he was as one brought up with him in the days of creation, whenever God created the earth, it said he was, he was, it was like they were just delighting and rejoicing and playing in creation and just having a great time. God was delighting in his son. Even before eternity, God was delighting his son in his son in creation. And God was delighting in his son whenever he came here to save us from our sins. Now, what's the opposite of delight? You see, there's no injustice that has ever occurred to anyone like has occurred to the Lord Jesus Christ. No injustice has ever occurred. And you know what? I, I, I just dearly, I just hate injustice. I hate inequity. When I see things in the world, that's one of the reasons I don't watch that much news. Because there's so much inequity out there. So much injustice. And this is never made right. And that is never made right. Oh, you might get a little bright spot here or there. You know, there might, there might be a, a, a court decision that goes right here. There might be a case that goes right here. There may be a little bright spot in here, but it just offends my spiritual conscience to see inequity. <laughs> and it really offends my spiritual conscience when someone is inequitable or unjust towards one of my children. <laughs> you know, I, it used to bother me when somebody would be inequitable toward me and offend me. 
But then they start offending one of my children. And I've never experienced that before until I had children. And that's something you got to keep in check. That's something you have to process and help your children process something like that. Otherwise, you'll just get stay mad all the time when inequity occurs. And I look at what they did to Jesus. And my spiritual conscience is offended in looking and seeing the torture and the trouble that the beloved of God went through. And it leads me to Isaiah 53, where we see all of the inequity that Jesus went through, how they mistreated him, how they didn't recognize him, how they did all of the things that they did to him. And as I read it, it offends my spiritual conscience. And I say, I can't believe what he went through. I can't believe what he had to suffer. And I continue to read down through Isaiah Isaiah 53. It says in verse 3, he's despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. Can you believe that anybody would hide their face from Jesus? But then I get to verse 4, and it begins to turn on me. And it says, surely he hath borne our griefs, my griefs. He's carried my sorrows. And I esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. When I begin to see that, it it causes me to be offended at myself. He had to die for me. He had to go through that to pay for my sins. So as I am offended in my sense of inequity and injustice, I only need to look in the mirror. It's my sins that put him there. He loved me. You see? Now, the three different types of love are all wrapped up in the beloved, Jesus Christ. We are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in the agape. It says in the song that we sing that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. That's phileo. That's friendship. He is our friend. We read that we are going to be united in Christ. In the resurrection, what's going to happen? Our physical bodies are going to be changed. He's going to be united in eternity with us because our physical bodies will be changed. All because He laid down His life for us. Child of grace, if nothing goes right for you in this world, if you receive inequity at the hands of men and women every day of your life, which is wrong, it shocks my conscience, I hate inequity, I hate injustice, but you remember this. Because Christ was treated like He was, because He did what He did voluntarily, then you have victory in Him. You're not a victim. People go around through this world, we are living in a society of victims. Somebody's offended me. One little word, as Brother Luke said, and you're this great offender. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. You're not a victim. You are a victor. Let me tell you, we don't need to be having a victim mentality. We need to be having a victor mentality because Christ... In Christ, we are in Him, and we are accepted before the Lord. Your sins are not accepted. You read in Isaiah 53 and other places that He paid for your sins. But because He paid for your sins, when we appear before the Lord, and when the Lord thinks on us, He thinks through the blood of His Christ, the, the blood of His Son, He sees us through that blood, and we are accepted in Him. That's how a thief on the cross can be in heaven. That's how an apostle Paul, who was killing Christians, can be in heaven. That's how a brother Tim can be in heaven. It's not because of the goodness. It's not because of something good that I did. It's because of the goodness of Christ. It's because of the sacrificial love of Christ. You don't need to have a pity party if you're being done wrong. You need to have a praise party because Christ has done you right in spite of your sins. You see? All of history begins. All of history focuses on this love story. It begins with the unraveling of true love in the Garden of Eden. 
True love unravels. And all throughout time, you have this love story of the beloved of God taking steps every day, every year, every month, every decade, every century, every millennia. There's one step closer back to the restoration and the enjoyment of true love, which is in the beloved Christ Jesus. That's what he did on the cross. It's a love story. And it's amazing. From Adam and Eve all the way down through time till we are restored to that paradise. What did I tell you all last week? That the ultimate thing that we're moving towards at the end of time is going to be what? That marriage supper of the Lamb where Christ will be united physically. He'll be united emotionally. He'll be united as friends. And He'll be united as the great Savior and sacrificer of His people. And we will all be present as His children, as His chosen. We'll be present with Him. And we'll be there accepted in the Beloved. You're accepted right now. The next time you feel rejected, the next time you feel left out, the next time inequity or injustice confronts you, you think about what Christ, what inequity and injustice Christ faced and what He did for you. And the next time you maybe overindulge in something you shouldn't indulge in or actually indulge in something you shouldn't be indulging in to begin with, something like alcohol or something like drugs or some type of relationship that desecrates the blood of Christ. I hope you don't think back to my ugly face and what I preached about on Sunday. (laughs) I hope you think about the face of Christ as he hung there on the cross and he paid for that very sin or that overindulgence that you or me, that we have committed. Think about his face. He was set. He would not be denied. And the Lord looked at the sacrifice of Christ and he accepted it. So therefore, we are accepted in the beloved. He said, I don't have anything to offer. He said, I've ruined my life. I've made bad decisions. I've committed sin. I can't seem to stop this cycle. You know, the friends that I'm surrounded by, they just keep dragging me down into this cycle. You remember this. You can stop those cycles. You can repent of whatever sin it is. You can repent of whatever thoughts are going on in your mind. And it's all because Christ did what he did. And you are accepted in him. You don't have to bring offerings and goodness and say, here I am, Lord, accept me. Look at me. I'm now better. Doing good things and serving God, they all have their place. But for your salvation and the price that was paid, it was all paid by Him. You're accepted in the Beloved. If you believe that, it's incumbent upon us to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism. And as the Lord looked upon His and said, His Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He looks upon you as sons and daughters of His and says, I'm pleased. You're beloved to me because Christ is my beloved. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing some song.